in the past few years there have been many advances in ai artificial intelligence at the same time there have been even more momentous development in another ai america and india from the defense and aerospace report this is the downlink a podcast about the intersection of space the space business and defense not just what's over the horizon but what's happening above it i'm your host laura winter hello downlink listeners That was Indian Prime Minister Narendra Modi on Thursday as he was addressing a joint session of Congress. But before he headed up to Capitol Hill, his state visit started in the morning when he stepped onto the red carpet, rolled out on the White House South Lawn, where U.S. President Joe Biden was waiting. Welcome, Mr. Prime Minister. Welcome back to the White House. I've long believed that the relationship between the United States and India is one of the, will be one of the defining relationships of the 21st century. Two proud nations, two proud nations whose love of freedom secured our independence, bound by the same words in our Constitution. First three words, we the people. The enduring ties and shared values between our people and the shared responsibility as global leaders to tackle the great issues of our time together. For Modi, personally, the state visit is a public relations turnaround, years in the making. In 2005, the Bush administration denied Modi a travel visa for his alleged involvement in the 2002 Gujarat riots. At the time, Modi was Gujarat's chief minister and a political rising star. It's been 21 years since that event. Modi has spent the last nine years serving as India's prime minister. The vastly improved relations with India and and with Modi in particular, have put these two world powers, both major spacefaring nations, on a track toward deeper space, economic, and defense cooperation, especially in the Indo-Pacific region. In the post-COVID era, the world order is taking a new shape. In this time period, the friendship between India and the U.S. will be instrumental in enhancing the strength of the whole world. The two countries are committed to work together for the global good and for global peace, stability and prosperity. Our strong strategic partnership is a clear proof of the power of democracy. Friends, Before Modi headed up to Capitol Hill, Modi confirmed India had signed the U.S.-led Artemis Accords. That makes India the 27th signatory. Ecuador signed up the day before. The Accords are a U.S. initiative that creates a grand partnership in the space domain for exploration and exploitation of the Moon and Mars and even beyond. It brings signatories in alignment on in-space behavior and commerce, and perhaps most importantly, 
For these Artemis nations, it supports long-term cooperation and development of interoperable space technologies. That technology development and the opportunities for increased trade and commerce with India extends into the defense sector. Here's Modi Thursday afternoon addressing a joint session of Congress. Indeed, Mr. Speaker, we were strangers in defense cooperation at the town of Century. Now, the United States has become one of our most important defense partners. Today, India and the U.S. are working together in space and in the seas, in science and in semiconductors, in startups and sustainability, in tech and in trade, in farming and in finance in art and artificial intelligence, in energy and education, in healthcare and humanitarian efforts. I can go on and go on, but to sum up it by, I would say, the scope of our cooperation is endless. The potential of our synergies is limitless. And the chemistry in our relations is effortless. While the relationship chemistry may be effortless, breaking down the barriers to trade, especially technologies critical to space and the defense sector, is not. So the day before the state visit, the U.S. Department of Defense and the Indian Ministry of Defense established the India-U.S. Defense Acceleration Ecosystem, or Indus-X. The two-day launch event was organized and hosted by the U.S.-India Business Council at the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, which is in sight of the White House front door. It was there that 25 small and mid-sized Indian and American space and defense companies joined DOD and MOD leaders to talk about partnerships and trade. It's also where I met Kranti Musunuru of Druva Space, a company headquartered in Hyderabad. Here's our conversation. Hi, Kranti. Thank you so much for coming on the Downlink podcast. Thank you, Laura. Um, it's been a pleasure to come on and uh, build on the relationship between India and U.S. I think on the space side, love to talk. So, Kranti, before we start talking about, you know, the state visit and, you know, space business in India and the U.S., tell us a bit about you. You know, introduce yourself to my audience. Um, I'm Kranti. I lead strategy at a company called Druva Space. Prior to that, I've been on the policy side in terms of government. Uh, I've been a part of KPMG advising the local governments in terms of uh, building up infrastructure, airports, ports, and uh, policy making for uh, state in terms of ease of doing business and uh, moving forward in terms of multiple other things, uh, agri-tech, space tech, and um, I continue to build on strategy paths of each of those industries. Tell us a bit more about 
the company that you're with. I mean, it's a space business. You know, what's its name? Where is it located? And, and what does it do? Um, so we're a company called Dhruva Space. Um, we are India's first space technology startup. We are based out of Hyderabad in uh, Telangana. Um, and um, in terms of our work, what we see is that there's a requirement for full stack space engineering solutions, which is um, someone to help build the satellites, launch them, and set up the ground infrastructure so that it's seamlessly space as a service. That's what we do. We, we have our own spacecraft platforms. We do the missions, uh, mission design in terms of launching those uh, payloads into space. And um, we're competing in acquisition of an antenna manufacturer so that we can deliver satellite, the launch, and the ground equipment together as a solution for our clients. And what kind of space heritage then do you have? I mean, that's going to be a question that everybody asks, right? Like, what do you actually have on orbit? You know, how many missions, you know, and, and who have been your partners? So we've been, uh, we've been to space thrice in the last 12 months. Uh, we've validated several of our subsystems. And uh, we've launched a couple of satellites into orbit uh, last November, which continue to function now. Uh, and what do they do? So the first two satellites are more of a technology demonstration with uh, potential for uh, store and forward messaging and IoT. But the critical aspect of it is these are the first sat set of satellites which were authorized by the Indian government to be launched by private entities to space. So uh, it's, it's uh, starting a new trend in terms of the whole exercise. Well, congratulations, that's amazing. How long, I mean, I just have to ask, how long did it take for you to, you know, get all the, you know, boxes checked to, to achieve that? No, I think, as I mentioned, the company was started in 2012. And I mentioned that we've launched our first satellites in 2022. It took 10 years to even look at the government changing the policy regime to allow private participation of uh, companies in space. And... Uh, in fact, India's space policy is only two months old. Uh, so prior to that, you know, there was never um, a private activity in space, which was not a subcontracting for the Indian Space Research Organization. So no one built and launched their own satellites um, in terms of privately as a company. Changed a lot, I think. Um, from a point of view, I think uh, 2020 was the game changer in terms of the government intent to accept a private ecosystem to build uh, space products and solutions. And um, I think 2022, June, we've, we've been the first company which got authorization to carry out space activity. Um, we've launched our first mission in June 2022, followed up with November 2022 and April 2023. So um, we were geared up in terms of all our research and what needs to go. And once the policy was a go, we started being the first ones to try everything. And just an aside, I mean, where are you launching from? Who's your launch provider? No, so at, at Dhruva, we don't build the rockets, but um, it's a less, little less known fact that the Indian space program is one of the leading commercial providers of, uh, you know, launch services. And I think um, back in 2018, before uh, rideshare missions kicked off from spaceflight, um, Indian rockets launched 40% of the number of satellites launched across the world. So we had a market leadership um, that now is surpassed by the private industry. 
And uh, so we continue to use the ISROS launch vehicles for our launches, and we're expanding on that. So tell me, why are you in Washington, D.C.? I mean, you're 12 hours away. It's a long, long way away. Um, we've got a state visit this week. So why, why here? Why space? Why are we in the U.S. Chamber of Commerce? So I think it's critical to know that India and U.S. partnership on the space initiatives dates a long way ago. You know, and, and it has always been a civil space agency level. It had never crossed the boundaries to include the commercial. So I think that's, that's what we are pushing the doors on. Um, if there are initiatives that need to be done together by two countries, they have to have the commercial aspect to it. Um, so we've been a part of the 1.5 dialogue uh, last year, and we were part of the uh, NSA's delegation earlier this year. We continue to um, you know, pick up in terms of what are those missing elements of regulatory frameworks that could aid ease of doing business between both the countries. So this is my fifth visit. I've been here uh, every month for the last five months um, to push through things, which is to get those small changes, right? It's, it can be trade regulations. It can be openness and partnerships. It, it, it's just being there because a lot of people did not see India beyond ISRO and you know, the partnership between NASA and ISRO. I think uh, breaking that barrier and for the commercial world, introducing India as a proponent, uh, despite I think India launching about 300 private satellites of US companies over the last uh, 10 years. Uh, it's a story that we have to tell back again and that's what we're doing here in terms of uh, bringing the brand India in space at the same time bridging the gap between both the countries. You also said something really interesting, and that's getting beyond ESRO and getting beyond NASA. So are you searching for partnerships both in the commercial sector and, and what about the defense sector? See, I think um, from a commercial point of view, at the end of the day, if the end users can be any part of the world. So whether um, a lot of partners of our company in U.S. Uh, work very closely with the Indian government in terms of providing space data as a service. So we support them in terms of providing, say, satellite imagery for the Indian government, for the Indian defense. Um, there are certain places where we import equipment and subsystems that we're looking at from either the European market or the US market to be integrated into our satellite platforms. So I think that's the first part of a commercial context, which is working together to unlock a new um, economic area or a region in South Asia that can, and you know, a lot of people in, in, in the uh, market do not know that India is the third largest defense spender in the world. And yet, you know, that market for space-based intelligence is relatively untapped. So that's what we are bridging in terms of a commercial perspective. In terms of a defense perspective, again, people think cannot think beyond you know, the Buy American and Make in India program and how they can still be complementary to each other. And uh, that's a bridge that we are trying to uh, work with because you can still make in India, but meet the Buy American. And you can still make in India and use American products into it. So I think it's, it's just that we can work together and build that relationship so that the defense also works um, in terms of getting these products uh, at a affordable cost in terms of reliable um, and and adding a multilateral initiative to it. I think that's 
An example is uh, there's a company called Pixel, uh, who are a fellow company out of uh, India. Um, they're based on, uh, in the Bay Area, and now they're uh, contracting uh, to NRO in terms of the hyperspectral data. So there's been multiple instances that this has been proven as possibility. We just have to open the doors, and that's, that's the way forward. Now, tomorrow there's going to be um, the actual state visit and the state dinner, and there'll be you know plenary and, and hopefully a press conference and all that, and that means there's going to be you know policy products. What do you hope is going to be in those policy products in terms of space, you know, doing business here in the United States, and, and also for your U.S. partners to be able to do business in India? No, I think the critical aspect for two countries to work together is trade regulations, um, and I think that's that's where we expect a little more effort between the countries. And I think um, ITAR has been a big um, bottleneck in terms of us working with a U.S. company in terms of procuring any subcomponents. Uh, we move it towards Europe instead of uh, U.S. But that trust factor that comes in when a bilateral state visit happens and this conversation that will be on. And we're looking at what could be those steps that can be taken between India and US that will facilitate those uh, regulated items to be still uh, movable and technologies to be co-developed between two of the leaders in, in the market. And I think as, as the oldest democracy and the largest democracy, we could do a lot of things together and, and building those bridges can be possible with those small steps. And I think that's one small step we look for and in terms of programs, I think from an Indian perspective, as a new uh, nation with a private space participation that is being kicked off, um, we are open to, for it to take two to five years before everything uh, completely opens up and work happens. But it's a start, and that's what it signifies. Kranthi, thank you so much for your time. Pleasure, Laura. This start has been years in the making with a lot of work done by the U.S.-India Business Council. I spoke with retired U.S. Ambassador Atul Kashyap about what needs to be done to strengthen commercial partnerships in the space and defense sectors. Here's our conversation. Atul, thank you so much for making the time to come on the Downlink podcast. Well, thank you very much for having me, Laura. Now, before we start talking about what's happening here today at the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, could you take a moment and introduce yourself to the audience? You know, why do people call you ambassador? <laughs> you know, what do you do here? So, Laura, thank you very much. My name is Atul Keshap. I am a retired American diplomat. I'm currently serving as the president of the United States India Business Council, which is part of the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. We have about 200 member companies who are part of our council. It's about two-thirds American and one-third Indian, and it represents some of the biggest companies in the United States and India. And all of these member companies are dedicated to the prospect that U.S.-India ties can grow even bigger uh, and can become even more intense, and that by doing so, uh, it'll be good for America and good for India and all of the free people of the world. So I was fortunate to serve in India twice in my foreign service career, and fortunate to serve uh, in jobs in the State Department in Washington uh, working on India at least twice, if not more. And so I've spent about 20 years of my professional career working to build U.S.-India ties, and I'm very pleased that we're on the eve, really, well, the day of uh, Prime Minister Modi's arrival in Washington for a state visit. 
Now, he's going to be going and visiting the president across the street and, well, across the park as well and then across another street. But we're here in the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, and this event, Indus X, is really interesting. I mean, you've got these tech companies, but a lot of them are space companies. And I've also seen some, you know, U.S. military people around. Secretary of the Air Force, Frank Kendall, was here. Um, the plant was here. What's going on? I think what's going on, Laura, is that the two countries uh, realize that our that our future happiness is tied to one another's security, and we are quad partners. We have had an enormous amount of strategic convergence that has happened over the past 20 years. When I think back to 1994, when I joined the U.S. Foreign Service, relations between India and the United States were not great. Uh, when I remember first working on India in 2000, things were kind of scratchy. Um, by 2005, when I was posted to the U.S. Embassy in Delhi, we embarked upon um, the nuclear deal, which was designed to kind of put all of these legacy um, issues in the past. And that strategic effort has been going on for two decades um, on both sides, across both systems, and has been um, you know, sustained by thousands of people who want to see the US and India really become the strongest possible friends in world affairs. And so I think this state visit not only comes at a momentous op moment of opportunity, uh, but it's also coming at a time of great geostrategic tension and rising tensions. So, What's happening in this room at Indus X here at the chamber is the two uh, ministries of defense talking to each other about how to spark innovation and collaboration across the defense domain. And the defense domain is one of the build-out areas of the Initiative on Critical and Emerging Technologies, which we also launched with the two governments here at the chamber in January. And the ISET, the Initiative on Critical and Emerging Technologies, is focusing on things like defense, of course, but also semiconductors, on pharmaceuticals, on, um, on uh, telecoms, on quantum computing, artificial intelligence, all the deep tech and space. and space, all the deep tech, future tech issues that I think are going to impact how our free citizens live in the 21st century. So there's a, a keen desire by both governments to invest in and reinforce collaboration in those areas. So at Indusex, we're looking at defense collaboration, which also includes outer space and all of the domains, maritime, land, outer space, cyberspace. And there's a lot of defense, or there's a lot of startup innovation in the space arena in both America and India. So there's plenty of opportunity. We've hosted a few space discussions between the US and India and American and Indian private companies over the past year here at the US Chamber. And we're bullish on what can be done in the space arena between the US and India. A lot of positive technology, a lot of shared values, a lot of strategic convergence, a lot of shared apprehensions, frankly, about how the future might look. So this is about bringing those two sides together and sparking collaboration. Could this say collaboration in the commercial sector, right? You know, as you say, you've had both Indian and American businesses speaking here, trying to find ways to work together. Are, are they really the ones that are actually also driving the policy to break down some of the barriers? I mean, I've been hearing barriers about ITAR, and I've also heard barriers. I, I, I forget what the acronym is, so please forgive me, everybody. But th th there's a, a similar type of ITAR regime 
um, from the Indian side that prevents you know Indian companies from working on sensitive technologies you know with the United States is this really you know the commercial sector you know dragging these two countries to kind of embrace a little tighter I would say that the two governments have heard loud and clear from private sector companies that there are still considerable hurdles uh, in the way of companies engaging in collaboration, investment, co-production, co-development. And that over the years, these calls, these cries have been heard. And so when the two national security advisors of India and the United States and the Secretary of Commerce helped launch ISET here in this chamber uh, back in January, what we heard from them very clearly was a clarion call from both governments that we're going that they intend to break through these barriers. Uh, look at what Jake Sullivan said the other day in an interview where he talked about how ISET as a, as a framework has helped both governments focus on precisely these issues of regulatory impediments in both directions that slow down uh, high-tech collaboration on, on sensitive technologies. Trade follows the flag. Trade can certainly counsel or suggest things to the sovereign, but the sovereign has to decide what will happen, especially in national security, outer space issues. So I'm confident and, and encouraged that both governments are showing great positive um, momentum and leadership and direction to the private sector about collaboration. Indosex, which we're hosting right now, is all about U.S.-India defense cooperation. ISET, as an umbrella, is all about U.S.-India technological collaboration. And breaking through all of those barriers that you mentioned is vitally important. In my conversations with the White House and with the Indian system, I've made it clear that it, from the company perspective, you know, they, don't, they can't control these things. Governments have to make these decisions. They need government to play its part and to license things and to give green lights and permissions in order for these collaborations to happen. I am convinced that if the U.S. and Indian private sectors are allowed to collaborate in an organic way on all of these sensitive technologies, not only one, will it grow very fast, number two, it'll be good for America and India, but number three, it's going to boost our deterrent capability and our defense capability uh, for decades to come. Now, if I could, you know, that's a strategic view, which is fabulous, and thank you so much. But I also wanted to ask, just because you have so many interesting, fantastic companies coming from India, I was just kind of wondering if you had like a favorite one or a favorite, a favorite sort of technology that you've seen out there on the floor. Like, you know, what's give, what's what sparked your imagination today? There's all kinds of neat stuff happening. There's a, a company that is launching satellites that improve communications. There's a company that's looking at fabrics to to ensure that our Fighting men and women have the best fabrics to resist cold and wet and hot and humid uh, conditions. Um, there was a company that is looking at uh, basically remote steering uh, naval vessels in useful ways. I mean, the amount of innovation in the defense space in drones, in uh, the, the fighting soldier and the equipment he or she is wearing, the, um, the use of outer space and satellite communications, um, uh, artificial intelligence coming into the, its own as well. I think the arena is broadening in many ways because of all these new te technologies that are coming in. So these are, these are startups. These are companies that are just starting out. They're looking to attract the in attention of the big 
the majors, the defense majors. They're looking to attract the attention of, of defense procurement officials in the US and India. But here's what's most important, is that India is a democratic society, US is a democratic society. We have shared strategic views uh, and shared strategic interests, and our defense capabilities need to be uh, driven by production in India and production in America so that we can sustain our military capability and ensure a strong deterrence. And with India's innovation and price point and our proven capacity and technology, I think we have a great combination. And what can be produced as a result of these collaborations is not just for America or India, but frankly for all of the free countries of the world. For the whole Indo-Pacific. Certainly. For sure. Or at least for our friends. <laughs> Thank you so much for your time. What a pleasure to talk to you, Laura. Thank you very much. Now, no coverage of this week's events would be complete without the geostrategic view. And for that, we have the downlink regular Namratha Goswami and from India, Ajay Lele. Here's our conversation. Hi, Namratha. Ajay, it's great to have you both on the podcast. Laura, it's great to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me. Now, before we get into the space and defense developments of the Modi State visit, we need to do some introductions. And Namratha, you are a downlink regular, so why don't you start us off? Sure, Laura. My name is Namrata Goswami, and I teach space policy and international relations at the Thunderbird School of Global Management, Arizona State University. Great to be here. And Ajay, take a moment yes. and introduce yourself to the audience. Uh, I'm Ajay Lele. I work as a consultant in a new Delhi-based think tank in India uh, called Manohar Parikar Institute for Defense Studies and Analysis. Now, the following questions I've got for you at first blush, they're going to seem a little simplistic, but the U.S.-India relationship is anything but. Namatha, it's obvious the Biden administration was courting Modi and the greater Indian public, the White House and Congress, they really rolled out the red carpet. What was the U.S. looking for to achieve in space and defense and did it get it? That's a great question to start with. So uh, I do agree that the Biden administration rolled out the red carpet. And so I would say that if you think about whether the administration achieved what it hoped to achieve with India, I think it got more, actually. So, for example, if you think about the joint statement, uh, India signed the Artemis Accords, which is a really interesting development given India's history of reticence to sign into any U.S.-led effort. So this is a great win for American diplomacy. And I think when you look at the different uh, technologies that both countries agreed to, for example, India has also signed on to the Mineral Security Partnership uh, along with 12 other nations, which is a very critical development. So that's something that both countries are actually going to benefit from. And then what is even more interesting to me is that both countries have agreed to now strengthen semiconductor supply chain capability. And in fact, uh, there is an investment of about $2.75 billion in setting up uh, assembly and test facility in India. And then to end uh, my answer, so if you look at defense collaboration itself, I think what is so strategically important is that 
U.S. and India has now uh, agreed to advance a proposal by General Electric to jointly produce the F-414 jet engine in India uh, with Hindustan Aeronautics Limited. And they both signed the Memorandum of Understanding. So I think that's a fascinating development. Of course, this has to be now submitted for U.S. congressional notification, but uh, it's a done deal uh, almost. So those are the most interesting developments, I think. And so it achieved more uh, in uh, what it hoped for. And also, what about the strategic framework? I mean, that's kind of interesting, isn't it? It is. And also because what is uh, critical in terms of, if you think about the strategic framework itself, what is so fascinating is that it uh, expands across a wide variety of issues that includes defense, uh, critical technologies, long-term thinking as to why the U.S. and India needs to establish a global partnership. And if you look at the focus of the strategic framework, it's about enhancing democratic, sustainable Uh, equitable uh, partnership in the long run. So this is a long game, and that's what the strategic partnership basically is signaling to the world. And I think uh, if I want to answer your question even more uh, in in a much more uh, strategic manner, I think it's also a signaling to China that here is this collaboration happening, and this is a long-term game. And Ajay, what was India looking for from the Modi state visit in space and defense? And did India get it? And why was it important to India to sign the Artemis Accords? I mean, is there a long game from the Indian perspective in signing those accords and, and also having a strategic framework for, for human space exploration? I think from India's perspective, uh, there is a long history of Indo-US relationships, particularly in the arena of space. Uh, Way back since 1962, there has been good amount of uh, collaborations in the space arena. However, in the space and defense arena, owing to India's nuclear policies and India undertaking nuclear tests, one during 1974 and a series of tests during 1998, uh, the relationships had come to a standstill. But after the successful culmination of an Indo-US nuclear deal in the year 2005, there has been a boost into the relationship. But over a period of time, it was realized that this relationship, particularly in the arena of a defense, is more as a seller and a buyer relationship. So India wanted to change that to a strategic relationship where there could be an opportunity for India to have access to the U.S. technologies. And it will be more as a relationship where technological underpinning would be there uh, in the relationships. And it will not remain only as a seller and a buyer relationship as far as defense equipments are concerned. As it has been pointed out by Namrata that uh, the G deal is a very big deal where it's not only that US is sending an engine. An engine will be jointly manufactured uh, in India and uh, I believe that there are around 11 technology transfers will be taking place particularly in the arena of this engine. Then there are various other aspects as far as this uh, technology demonstration is concerned. Uh, There will be a sell of uh, the drone systems also, but again, there will be a technological understanding of how to use these systems. And then uh, uh, already India has uh, put an order, the India's major airline, Air India, has put an order of around more than 200 aircrafts uh, for the purchase to the Boeing. And Boeing has already supplied some aircrafts, around 11 aircrafts, uh, Globemast aircrafts, the C-17 to Indian Air Force. So there has been a look 
at a growth of a air power per se because when you look at a air power uh, as a, a quantity one can say uh, it's not only what indian air force is having it's entire aviation sector what india is going to have and that is a boost into this sector also because now uh, some sort of a servicing which will happen as far as uh, c17 aircrafts are concerned within india so india becomes a regional hub as far as c17 aircrafts are concerned then there are simulators which have been given also then as far as a maritime domain is concerned ship repair is going to become a very key figure uh, in uh, days to come where us navy ships who will be in this part of the world uh, will come for refurbishing and for some repairs in indian docks uh, then there are a few other areas where more amount of a collaboration will happen at academia bank and industry level for the purposes of defense innovation also so if you really see the relationship has leapfrogged from a buyer and seller relationship to a relationship where there will be a technology transfer where there will be joint collaborations where there will be innovation projects which will be also undertaken jointly as far as artemis program is concerned i think more than india it was us which was very keen to get india uh, into the domain of uh, so called the us developed norms and rules and regulation architecture Uh, so i think more than india it is a win win situation for the us as far as artemis accord is concerned now this next question is for the both of you how will these two major space faring nations continue to deepen their relationship in space and defense is there more to be done and what are the challenges to deepening that relationship i think as far as the domain of space is concerned Uh, it's not only the artemis accord now uh, there is a proposal uh, for nasa taking uh, indian astronauts to the international space station within a year's time then already there is a program which is undergoing about a joint development of a satellite uh, nasa has already developed the satellite and it has been dispatched to india uh, it is a sar that is a synthetic aperture radar satellite uh, which will be launched by isro uh, during say january of 2024 Uh, so there is a continuous activities which are happening in various fields it's not only in the field of one can say artemis program or related to moon activities now india has got its own moon program mars program india has got its own program for the human mission to the space called gaganyaan program also so in all these programs there will be directly or indirectly involvement of the us to assist india to take these programs at a greater heights in a less a period of a time uh, so this relationship is going to sustain and it's not going to be one of program centric relationship because for couple of years the relationships were basically program centric but now it is a relationship where uh, there is a very wide canvas of activities which are happening and that is the importance of these deals particularly in the space and defense deals yeah so laura if i may actually add to what ajay has said So uh from my perspective I think when I think about how the US and India can actually deepen their space partnership from today to the long term I think the one thing that India would also have to do is to show how much budget will be allocated to India's own lunar program because uh as part of the Artemis Accord principles both both nations that sign onto a bilateral agreement uh commit 
to a particular amount of resources, technology, as well as development. And as Ajay has said, I think India uh, will benefit from this collaboration because it will get access to U.S. advanced space technology. Is the hope, and which is the principle of the strategic framework partnership that you talked about. For example, human spaceflight cooperation, right? So I think there is the proposal that by 2024, India and U.S. will collaborate in terms of uh, a joint uh, program to go to the International Space Station. So that will be a first for India, and that will be extremely interesting. Uh, India actually has approved about $318 million of investment to construct a laser uh, interferometer gravitational wave observatory in India itself, which will actually, again, collaborate with the United States and Japan. Now, that's very interesting, again, if you think it from the long-term perspective, because that means that India will now be collaborating in space with the U.S., but also with the quadrilateral security dialogue members, for example, Japan and Australia. So those are the some very interesting developments I see in terms of this collaboration. And then I think some of the challenges that I'll point out is that once you have a statement and commitment in this particular level of uh, technological detail, now the important thing is how will it play out in the long run in terms of both countries' advantages? How can the United States uh, take advantage, for example, of India's uh, low-cost manufacturing skill set? And this is a long game, as I said. It's going to be a thought process from, say, 2023 to, say, 2050. Where will India be at that time uh, as a nation with the highest population, with skill set? And so I think space will play into that. I think both countries have not yet recognized space as critical infrastructure for their societies. So that's something that they will have to think through. And finally, I think one of the challenges that uh, India would have to also deal with is that as of now, India does not have a very clear uh, military space doctrine, for example, as to why has India established a defense space agency? What is the goal of that particular agency? So a similar kind of space doctrine that the U.S. Space Force has put out would be very beneficial for a relationship that is thinking long term. Now, I'll end by saying that what is something so new that has happened that supports this longer strategic framework? not just for space, for also for defense. So in the joint statement, there is a very interesting line that says that for the first time, Indian liaison officers will be placed with United States commands, which is military commands. Now, that's a fascinating development because by that, what would happen is that there will be the development of interoperability between the United States and India. There will be much deeper level military collaboration and which was lacking before this particular statement. So Indian officers were never placed in a command. Uh, so you can now see a future where Indian Space Force officers will be posted, for example, in U.S. Space Command or U.S. Air Force, Indian Air Force officers can be placed with other commands that deal with air power. So I think these are extremely strategic developments and we'll have to wait and see how it works out, but very interesting in terms of the U.S.-India relationship. And finally, how is this news and, and, and all these, you know, different developments, both large and small, with India, you know, signing the Artemis Accords, you know, how is all this being received in the Indo-Pak region? You know, India is a 27th signatory. Ecuador signed um, the Artemis non-binding agreement earlier this week. But again, you know, how is this being received in the Indo-Pak region? Ajay, why don't you start? Yes. 
Uh, I think uh, this has been seen as a thing which was going to happen for quite some time. So there were a lot of expectations that India is actually going to sign an Artemis Accord. Uh, as far as uh, Indian subcontinent is concerned, if I'm looking at uh, Indo-Pacific region, you've got countries like Japan, South Korea, which are already on board of these accords. As far as South Asia is concerned, I think India is the only space-faring nation. Particularly, there are other smaller states uh, who do not have uh, much of a even investments into space program. Pakistan also is not having much of an investments into space program. Uh, their space program has significant amount of a dependence on China. So definitely, they will have their own views on this. Uh, but broadly speaking, I can say that in a larger Indo-Pacific area, uh, since Australia is also on board of uh, Artemis, New Zealand is also on board of Artemis, uh, India's joining Artemis Accord must be a welcome step for all these countries. Yeah, so Laura, again, so that's actually a great question to ask because I was in a conference yesterday and there were representations from the Asia-Pacific, for example, uh, Association of Southeast Asian Nations uh, Partnerships. And so there were actually two different responses. One was, as Ajay said, there were actually an anticipation that India might join but given the history I pointed out of Indian reticence, there was also great surprise that India has signed on to the uh, bilateral U.S.-led Artemis Accord. And the question asked was that, does it mean that India has now uh, given up its strategic autonomy? And so my response to that was that it only means that India has become more secure and more confident in its own status and sees this as a very equal partnership. Now, uh, in terms of looking at it from a strategic alignment perspective, so as Ajay said, uh, Pakistan does not have an advanced space program like India, but what I see is the signal that Pakistan is giving that it might join the China-led lunar organization that is going to the moon in collaboration with Russia. So you can see that there are alignments forming, but India joining will actually be a great influence in terms of how South Asian nations and other Southeast Asian nations will think about in terms of which alignment to join. So it's an extremely strategic development because it showcases democratic uh, representation and structure as to who is the better alignment to join in terms of uh, looking at the moon. I can't imagine that this was very well received in Beijing. Well, so uh, I'll quickly say that uh, China views this as a part of a strategic containment strategy and alignment strategy in space because they uh, announced, uh, and first of all, they have resisted their resistance to the Artemis Accord, including uh, their uh, space lawyer from their National Space Center that argued that Artemis does not, uh, you know, basically meet the obligations of the Outer Space Treaty. So they have already made if not a completely official, but semi-official statement. And so uh, Russia, China would see this as not just two spacefaring nations coming together because they want to collaborate in inspirational technology development, but in building a democratic representation that is anti antithetical to their own uh, visions for space. And so, yeah, they would see that as a strategic alignment and not the inspirational exploration language that has been given in the joint statement. I think as far as China is concerned, China understands that there are a lot amount of strategic underpinnings of India joining this accord. China understands that India's space program is more or less an indigenous space program. 
But at the same time, when it comes to collaborations, India is happy to collaborate with Russia also. India is happy to collaborate with US also. And at least I have not come across both the states having any major issues of these types of collaborations. So as far as India is concerned, India is working in its own national interest and not much concern about what will be the view of the region uh, on this particular aspect. China's space program is doing pretty well as far as the domain of space is concerned. Uh, China has already established its own space station and China is trying to play it very smartly by saying that whosoever is a member of a United Nations can come and join our space station. So China also understands that space should not become a region for a conflict the way it was happening during the Cold War period when Soviets and the US were in the game of a one-upmanship in the space. So China, to my mind, will watch it very carefully uh, and uh, they and Russia, China and Russia have already opposed the Artemis Accord. Uh, so definitely there are fault lines which are very evident. Uh, and now there are two types of groupings which are totally there on the uh, canvas of the space, one can say. Ajay, Namrata, thank you both so much for your time. Thank you. Thank you for, thank you for having us, Laura. Now, before I go, I have to let you know that next week there will be no episode of The Downlink as I'm off to the beach for a few days of boogie boarding. That's it for this week. If you like what you're hearing, follow The Downlink on Twitter and subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast platform. For the latest defense news and analysis, listen to the Daily Defense and Aerospace Report podcast hosted by Vago Maradian and listen to Kavis Ships to hear the latest on what's happening in the maritime domain. I'm Laura Winter, and thank you for listening. Thank you.